Hi, Glenridge. What an amazing week we have just had. Those three days of fasting were absolutely amazing. I felt like God was completely with us. And uh, I trust that you had an incredible time. I trust God did some things and brought to light some things in your own heart, uh, showed you something of your future, something of what God has for you. And uh, I really trust that it was an amazing time. Well, this week, I felt like we needed to to continue to preach this Sunday on Joel. And uh, what had happened is that I'd actually done a preach for, for Hillside Church this weekend on the book of Joel. And Drew was meant to be preaching. And after Drew had finished preaching, we had a chat. And actually, he just said, hey, he really feels like his preach would be out of place in terms of what God was doing in the week. And so I said, listen, I've prepared this, this preach on Joel. And I think we should, uh, we should maybe go with that. So I'm with you again this morning. It is great to be here. Uh, if you can turn in your Bibles to Joel chapter 2, verses 12. We're going to read from 12 to 14. And uh, this was what the kind of the fast that we just had this week was, was around this text, Joel chapter 2, which is quoted in Acts chapter 2. That's how we got onto it because we're doing a series on the book of Acts. And, uh, and God started to really highlight some things out of the book of Joel for us. So what I'm going to do this morning is I want, to, I want to talk about what it means to get ready for the season that's ahead. What does it mean to prepare our hearts and to posture our hearts? How do we get ready for the season that is before us? And I really do believe that God has a, has a phenomenal season ahead for us as a nation. I feel like God is going to do something and, and all, the, all the kind of voices around the world are saying a kind of a similar thing that God is wanting to pour out His Spirit and God is wanting to do all of these things. And uh, the book of Joel, let's read, let's read this, this text. In book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 12 to 14. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. Who knows, He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. And as I've been saying this week, I'm going to repeat it again for those that haven't heard it, is the book of Joel is a book uh, where the prophet Joel is speaking to the people of God because of a massive calamity that is upon them. They've had a swarm of locusts that have invaded the land and it's likened to an army and it is causing absolute devastation. The book of Joel starts off with, has anything like this ever happened to you or your forefathers before? It's an unprecedented uh, devastation. It's an unprecedented moment, which is what we're in now, an unprecedented moment in this COVID pandemic. And, it, and Joel comes with, what is God doing? What is God wanting to do with us, his people, in the midst of all that is going on? And his answer to this is to rend your heart, rend your heart and not your garments. But that's what we've got to do. If you read on from chapter 2 right through to the end of Joel, we start to see God starting to show them what is actually going to happen, what God wants to do with the people whose hearts are postured and prepared for him to work in. And what God wants to do is he first of all wants to restore all that was taken from them, all, that, all the destruction, he wants to restore it. 
And uh, Joel chapter 2 verse 24 says this, Your threshing floors will be full with wheat and your vats will be overflowing with new wine and oil. So God wants to restore them. He doesn't want them to stay in poverty and, and, and in a place of, of, of seeming like they're abandoned by God. Actually, he wants them to be in a place of prosperity. The second thing he, he says, he says, I'm going to repay. I'm going to repay all the years that the locusts have eaten. And I want to say to every single one of you that are listening to this, and I say it to myself as well. God is at this moment wanting to repay all that the locusts have eaten in the past years God is God is wanting to restore and repay in this moment God wants to bless us as we read there what who knows maybe God will leave a blessing behind God wants to bless us in this time in the midst of all the suffering that's going on the third the third thing that he says so he wants to restore he wants to repay the next thing he says is I want I want to revive and we get that in Joel chapter 2, verse 18. Joel chapter 2, verse 28, actually, sorry. And he says this, he's going to restore, he's going to repay. And then he says, I want to revive. I'm going to, after that, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all kinds of people, on every sort of people, no matter who you are, you are in for an outpouring of the spirit of God. He says, actually, on my people, I'm going to pour out my spirit like they haven't seen before. So he wants to revive so that they can become, which is the fourth thing that he wants to do. He wants to rouse an army. He wants to restore. He wants to repay. He wants to revive. And he wants to rouse an army. He, wa he wants to rouse an army that is going to go into the nations and bring glory to God in the nations. And it is a phenomenal thing. In this, in this text, in, in chapter 3, he says, what you've got to do is you've got to, you've, got to, you've got to beat your plowshares into a sword. So you've got to take your everyday job and make it a place of advancement. You've got to take your everyday job and see it as a place of taking ground. That's what happens when the revive part of it comes. When the Spirit is poured out, we become an army that even in our everyday work, in the, in the place where we would normally be plowing, it would become a place of advancing. And he goes on to say in this army, even the weakest of you, the weakling will say, I am strong, will say, I am strong. And so, friends, this is what God wants to do. He wants to restore. He wants to repay. He wants to revive and he wants to rouse an army that is going to impact the nations and declare his glory to the world. But what we've got to do, that's what we've what, that's what God's got to do. The question is, what have we got to do? And so often we get that wrong. We actually try to do what God's meant to be doing and we get God, we ask God to do what we meant to be doing. So we're not meant to be saying, God, please change my heart. Actually, no, we have got to posture our hearts for change and let God do what he wants to do, which is restore, repay, revive and rouse. So that's what he, that's what God's job is. And so often we get that wrong, friends. At this time, if we will posture our hearts, if we will, as, as that, text that we've just read now if we will rend our hearts and not just our garments if we will return to the Lord with all of our hearts this is what God's going to do and I am absolutely convinced friends God is at this time returning the heart of his church to his heart it came through in the fast God is wanting to take the hand of the church and put it in his hand and everything that has been done, which you give credit to your own strength, which you give credit to your own cleverness. Actually, God wants to say, no, it was never you. It was always me. 
come back to my heart. And so what we're doing here, what I want to do this morning is that is there's two significant responses that we've got to do in this time, which we see in the book of Joel. And friends, really, the people of God are differentiated from the rest of the world by their response in this time of calamity. It's in this time of what is your response? How do we respond in this time? Do we get full of fear, back down and, and get onto the back foot and crumble? Or in this moment, is there a moment where actually we can come to God in a powerful way and let him do something in us that will lead to him restoring, repaying, reviving and rousing an army? It's amazing it's an army. It's not just a person. It's an army of believers. It's an army of Jesus followers. And the two things that I believe that God really wants to do in this time is he wants to teach us to lament, number one, and he wants to teach us to repent. And I think both those things, to have true deep repentance, actually there's got to be some lament. Lament. And that word lament is not a word that we use often, particularly in the charismatic Pentecostal kind of tradition, because it's kind of, it's, 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 it seems that the kind of lament, and, and I'll show you what lament is now. There are two key things, the lament and repent. But it's, it's kind of seen as a, as, a, as a faithless thing to do. It's kind of, well, you're meant to be full of hope. You're meant to be full of joy. You're not meant to be grieving and be full of sorrow. You're actually meant to be, um, you're meant to be full of, uh, you've meant, it's, it's almost like an anti-faith stance to be in lament. And friends, I think as, a, as the church, we, well, some are part of the church, there's some traditions of the church where they've kicked out lament. What we've done, friends, is we've actually limited God and what he can do in our hearts. Right through the scriptures, there's an entire book called Lamentations by the, by the weeping prophet. That's of lament. In fact, 40%, at least 40%, probably more like 50% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Um, Jesus in the garden had a moment of lament when he said to the Father, Father, I actually I can't do this. This is take away this from me. Actually, you can't expect me to do this. Jesus got real with his Father and then he comes back to, but Father, let your will be done, not mine. In Romans chapter 8, it says that there's groaning. It says the earth is groaning. The disciples are groaning. The Spirit of God is groaning. That groaning is something of the lament and the anticipation. It's more than anticipation. It's a, it's a grieving and anticipation of God returning to restore things to what they were meant to be. In fact, lament is a divine given invitation to pour out our fears, our frustrations, our sorrows, for the purpose of helping us renew our confidence in God. That's what lament is. The, diction, the dictionary definition of lament is, is crying out in grief to express sorrow or to mourn aloud. That's what, that's what the dictionary definition is. But if we have a look at the biblical definition, which we're going to look at now, it's a, it's a little bit different because it's actually focused at God. And friends, I think us not learning or not knowing how to lament has done a number of disservices to us as believers in, in certain traditions and particularly in our tradition. One is we, we don't know how to live with suffering because we don't know, we don't know how to deal with suffering. 
because we've got an we've got kind of a bit of a prosperity thing going where we believe that God is so good and God's good all the time and actually if we face suffering or if we face difficulty actually God's not with us and we've got to do something we've got to do something more actually no lament actually most of the psalms of lament were written by David friends the the, the man that was the man after God's own heart the greatest king in Israel ever most of them were written by David Friends, it is a legitimate part of our living on this earth. And we live between this hard place of suffering and this incredibly sovereign good God that we know has good purposes for us. And lament is the place where we live between this, these two poles. When we don't know how to lament well, the disservice it does, it means we don't know how to grieve well, friends. And so what happens is even in our funeral services and our memorials, we have celebrations of life. We're, gonna, we're not going to be mournful. We're not going to be downcast. And maybe this is more of a Western thing. But, but it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's like we don't want to do that. It's going to be a celebration. But what we're doing, and it should be a celebration. There's nothing wrong with that. But actually there needs to be a place where we lament, where there's a grieving and a mourning. And we, and we speak to God with the rawness and the realness of one of our hearts, with the, with the, authenticity, with the authentic feeling of what you feeling in the moment it's kind of what we do is we kind of put a mask on it and make it feel all fancy and fantastic and actually to be in faith means you hey you're wonderful but actually there's a moment where we actually got to learn how to lament this is what Matthew chapter 5 the, the the Beatitudes Jesus says this blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are those who know how to lament because they will find comfort and what happens is if we don't know how to lament well, friends, what happens is we almost kind of always walk with a limp. We never get through the suffering because we never let, we're never able to mourn properly. We're never able to let it impact our lives properly. And so what happens is we don't get healed like we should be or to, or to the depth or the degree that we expect to be. And then what happens is we don't get all the revelation that God has available for us. Because it's in that place of, of lament and grief and sorrow um, for our sin or for the context of the world or the thing that we're facing, that it's in that deep vulnerable place that actually God starts to speak. It's in our weakness that God starts to reveal himself profoundly. So I believe these are some of the things that we miss out on if we don't know how to lament. And in the book of Joel, he says this, Return to the Lord your God with all your heart, with weeping, with mourning, and with fasting. Those are lament words and repent words. And then it says, um, return to me with all your heart. Repent properly from the depths of your heart. Not just with your garments, not just with the externals, not just with emotion. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a psalm of lament for you. So read these if you want to this week. Go and read Psalm 10, read Psalm 13, read Psalm 22 and read Psalm 77. As, as an introduction to lament if you've never seen them and read those psalms and, and ask different questions of those psalms and then, and then try to copy those and try to use them as models for actually how we can process things. This is Psalm 13. This is what it says. This is a psalm of lament by David. How long, O Lord, will you, for, how long, o Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And every day have sorrow in my heart. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes. 
or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. So we see we need we, we, we learn a couple of things, a few things from that psalm of how to lament. And the first thing is this, is that when we're in the midst of suffering and pain, we are to turn to God, friends. We're to turn to God with our pain and our suffering. So often as believers, we don't turn to God first. We turn to people first. But we actually, actually David says he turns to God and he pours out the helplessness of the situation, the hopelessness that he feels in the moment. He faces the loss, the pain, the confusion. This process of emotion comes out in the presence of God, friends. And what we've done is we've learned that we should be happy in faith and joyful in faith. And then what we do is we go and process all of that with psychologists and psychiatrists who are legitimate people that are meant to be there. It's not, it's not a word against them. But friends, I think as believers, we should be processing that with God first. And I think our visits to the psychologist may become less because I feel like God will begin to heal us by his spirit and by his person. In this process, he, he says, oh Lord God, he, he turns to God and he asks these things. He, he's disorientating, he's disorientated and he's kind of saying, God, I'm disorientated. What's happening? I don't understand this. Unless you give light to my eyes, I'm going to sleep in death. Unless you give revelation, unless you tell me what this means, I'm going to sleep in death all my life. Lord, please. Can I understand the anguish in David's heart? So the first thing he does is he turns to God. The second thing he does that we to do is we to bring our pain and our complaint to God in authentic emotion. Authentic emotion. Friend, God is not surprised by emotion and our anger at times. And even accusing in some of the Psalms, they accuse God. Sometimes we think, well, how can you do that? Friends, God knows that. And you know why we can lament and re repent? is because we're in a covenantal relationship with God. It undergirds our relationship with Him. We, he doesn't break it off. He doesn't run away from us when we get angry. Even with Him, He's, he's full of grace. He pulls us in and He says, come to me. Let, speak to me. Speak it out. Let, let me speak to you. So what the second thing He does, He brings His pain and His complaint to God. Have a look in Psalm 10. This is what, what is what, what the psalmist says. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's the question he asks. In Psalm 22, the psalmist says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you heard that before? You recognize that verse? That's what Jesus said on the cross. Friends, on the cross... Jesus was a, in a place of no lament, saying, God, I, don't, I, I, I get this. Please help me. Please have you forsaken me. He, that verse carries on to say, why are you so far from me, saving me? Why are you so far away from saving me? So far from my words of groaning, O God. That's what that psalm says. It's a psalm of lament. And so what we do is we bring our complaint and we bring our, our pain to God. And we say, God, this is what I'm feeling. And we ask very legitimate questions of God, like, why? I don't understand. And we voice our confusion with emotion even, friends. I feel like we are so missing this in the life of the church. The Pentecostal 
charismatic church in particular, in the more traditional churches, they have space for this. They have whole services of lament. The third thing is this, is that you ask boldly for help. You ask boldly for God help. God, give me the light. Give light to my eyes. As I, otherwise, I'm finished, is what he says. So we turn to God. We bring our complaint and our pain before him. And then we ask him for help. And friends, one of the things that we've got to learn to do is that we've got to learn to pray in the midst of suffering and lost and loss. In the midst of all that grieving, it's almost like you feel like you can't go to God because you're in such grief and such pain. Friends, that's when you must go to God and express it. That's what David's whole life was like that. Jesus' life was like that. Let's begin to put some of these things into practice. I think it will seriously deepen our relationship with God. And then lastly, you choose to trust in God. You choose to trust your, uh, put your trust in God. And in, in, this, in this context of, chapter of, of Psalm 13, he says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good for me. So lament doesn't stay in grief. Lament takes the realness and the authenticity of what we're feeling and we put it at the feet of God and we begin to see and we lean into the character of God and we lean into the covenantal, uh, that, the covenantal blessing that is ours in God and we cling to the promises of God in that moment. And what it does, it actually begins to renew and deepen our faith. It reminds us again, I'm feeling like this, but man, God is good. But God is strong and God is for me. That's what it does. So what lament does, it actually deepens our faith and processes our grief. That's the first part. We've got to learn to lament. What we know more of is repent. We know that. What we, we, we learn, we've heard more about that. We need to repent. And uh, here he says, I want you to rend your hearts, not, your, not just your garments. I, want you to, I don't want you to just tear. One of the, a, a, a traditional a way of grieving was to tear your garments. If there was heresy, they would tear their garments in grief at the, at the absolute um, sorrow at somebody speaking wrong of God. And, and, and there would be, it was, was emotional, just grief. And they would tear. And he's saying, listen, that's great, but don't just tear your garments. I want you to tear your heart. I want you to get into, this has got to go deep. And the way we go deep, friends, is to lament. And once we move towards that and God starts to speak, actually we move into repent. Repentance is not an emotion. That's, that would be garment repentance, tearing your garment. It's not, it's not emotion. It's not feeling sorry for yourself. It's not regret either. It's also not apologizing. It's not repentance. It's not remorse. Genuine repentance, friends, is a sincere, heartfelt decision to forsake or change or move away from the direction that you are moving to somewhere else. Metanoia, the Greek word, is to change your mind. But it's more than changing your mind. It's changing all of your heart and your mind so that actually it works out into different behaviors. It works out into different ways of living. So what, what is repentance then? Well, first of all, as I've already said, repentance deepens with, with, with proper lament. That's the first thing. I'm not going to say anything more about that. But repentance is actually a, a moment of revelation. You see, Jesus didn't go around saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, meaning you must say sorry 
for the kingdom of heaven is near. Or you must get holy because the, the kingdom of heaven is near. Actually, no, no, no. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's saying, actually, what I want you to do, can you, can you see what's happening? Can you see as your lens? You, you need to change your lens. You need to sh- change your worldview so that you can see the Messiah is here. Stop thinking in old ways. Start think, thinking in new ways. Start to see what God is doing in this moment. That's what repentance is. And then once we've had this moment of revelation and once we've had this, this aha, and that's why often lament will take us to repentance because often what we've got to do is we've got to repent. We've got to adjust. We've got to shape. We've got to change the way we're thinking. It's part of we've got to renew our mind and the renewing of the mind comes through moments, little moments of repentance over and over. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so once we've had this moment of revelation, then we realize, oh my gosh, yes, Lord, Father, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I was doing that. Or, Father, I didn't know about that. I was ignorant. I, I completely missed it. Father, thank you. And then what happens is our relationship with God gets deeper and deeper and deeper because it becomes more real and more real. Repentance, friends, is a gift from God. It's been spoken of in the church that we don't need to repent anymore. Friends, repentance is a grace gift from God. In fact, Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this. He says, it's the kindness of God that leads us on a journey of repentance. He goes on to say, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath. So it's because of the condition of our hearts that the, that the grace of God, the kindness of God is not getting into our lives so that we can act, God can do the work in our lives profoundly. And so friends, repentance, we've got to realize this, repentance, those, those aha moments, those moments of grief and sorrow and lament, they grace gifts from God to us. When we have one of those, I had something of that this week. Where I've just been wrestling with so much of what's going around. I eventually had to phone one of my friends and say, please speak to me and please pray for me. Because actually, friends, it's, it's this in the moment of this and then God starts to speak. And you, oh, all of a sudden the heavens are open again. It's because our hearts are ready to receive. Friends, the way we go deeper with God is in greater degrees of repentance. The way we renew our mind is through greater degrees of repentance. Nothing happens in our, in our walk with God. Nothing happens. No adjustment happens with a level of repentance. In fact, when we on a Sunday say, Can, does anybody want to stand up and respond to this word or something like that? Friends, actually, you know what we're doing? What we're doing is we're actually inviting people into a moment of repentance. If God has been on you, if God's been speaking to you, you now need to make a, a decision. It's not an emotion. You need to make, now make a decision. The decision can lead to emotion. But you now need to make a decision and respond to what God is saying. It's a moment of repentance and adjustment. And then we begin to move and live differently. One of the reasons why we don't like to lament or repent, actually, is that it's painful. It's incredibly painful. When we start to see our mistakes and we start to see our wrongs, it's incredibly painful for us. We don't want to. And so we'd rather not. And so we keep a distance between us and God and we all want to be authentic and we want a church life that's authentic and we want leaders that are authentic, but our relationship with God is not authentic. Authenticity, friends, in the church starts with your and my relationship with God being authentic and not fake and not a mask. 
Repentance means you've got to let go of some things. Repentance means you've got to unhitch from some things. Repentance means you've got to learn, unlearn some things, some old things, and relearn some new things. And, and rep repentance means that you've got to untangle your life. You've got to make some decisions about how you're living your life. Some, for some times, it's you've got to break off some friendships when you get the revelation. Or you've got to put away computers or you've got to do something. It, it leads to a change. You've got to un, untangle and unhitch your life. Repentance can be painful. But the beautiful thing, friends, is that repentance leads to a tangible change of lifestyle. Because when God, you see, God always works from the inside out. He doesn't come with behavioral modification. He comes with heart modification, which leads to behavior change. That's the way the kingdom of God works inside out. And so what we do is when we take our heart to God and lament, and we begin to express out the, the rawness of who we are and what's going on in our mind, actually God begins to work with us. His grace begins to come into us. And he, we start to see things differently. He starts to mold us. We start to, he, he leads us by His kindness to a place of repentance, which then changes the way we live our lives. You see, a truly repentant person will be, have a changed life. That is where the scriptures talk about the fruit of repentance. You can say, I've repented. I've ripped my garments. Look, my garments are in pieces. But nothing's changed. Actually, the fruit of repentance is a changed life, is a deeper relationship with God, is a greater understanding of what the kingdom's about. And it, what it ends up doing is it, imp it ends up impacting those around you. Isn't that absolutely profound? Friend, I think this is what God is wanting to do. I think God is wanting to restore prosperity and life. I, I believe God wants to repay the years the locusts have eaten. It's years, friends. You know why it's years? Is because a swarm of locusts would, the females would lay their eggs in the ground. And that when those hatched, the same swarm multiplied again, would come back again year after year. And so it's the years that the locusts have eaten. It's the years. God wants to restore that for you and for us. Do you believe that? God wants to, wants to revive. God wants to pour out His Spirit on all kinds of people. And He wants to rouse an army where you and your place of work can have impact and change. It's, a, it's an army, friends, where nobody has got the excuse to say, I'm not gifted enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not qualified enough. Those who are weak will say, I am strong. That's what God wants to do. What we've got to do, friends, is to let God into our hearts. And we've got to connect with God's heart. And friends, I believe if the church, if we as Glenridge Church can allow COVID to be a womb in which God is rebirthing and, and birthing a new thing where he gets reconnected, the umbilical cord to him comes out of the things of the world and gets connected back to him, the new thing will be birthed through our lives where he will do those four things, restore, repay, revive and rouse an army. Friends, it's an incredibly exciting time. Don't miss the window. I've spoken about this the last time I preached about Elisha. Don't miss the window. There's a moment now. Don't miss it. Get before God, friends. Get before God. I know life is getting busier. We've got Zoom meetings now. 
We've got less time than what we ever had before because it's backed up. God, I don't even have to travel. I don't even have the time to travel from meeting to meeting. I've just got stop that. Reprioritize and say, God, actually, what you're wanting to do through my life is more important than all of that stuff that's going on out there. Because when you do what you do want to do in my life, all of that's going to be affected because my spirit's going to come and revive something of what was lost. This is what I believe has happened this week, amongst many other things. God is, God is dealing with our hearts, friends. And can I at this time, just can, we just can I just pray for us? Father, I ask you, right where we're sitting in our homes, that you would by your power, with your presence, Holy Spirit, will you come and begin to just draw us to you, Lord God. For those that are grieving and mourning, I pray, Lord God, you'd show them, you'd teach them what it means to lament with you, to get before you and just let it all out, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that there would be these two things, lament and repent. Lament, lamentation and repentance would, would mark our lives, Lord God, as we go deeper and deeper and deeper with you, Lord God. Not in a religious way, Lord God, but an authentic relational way. Because, Father, we want to see you do what you promised to do. We want to see you restore. We want to see you repay. We want to see you revive. And we want to see you rouse, Lord God. But, Father, we want to take responsibility for what we want to do. And, Father, let, let what's going on in the world today and in our hearts come to you in lament, lamentation, and ultimately in repentance, Lord. Do something. Revive us. Change us, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Bless you. There's some bloopers on the way, so don't run away after this. Um, it should be a lot of fun. But bless you, friends. Please use this time wisely. Don't let this time go. Don't let this time come and go. And our relationship with God is not deeper. And God is, he, he wants to do some stuff with us. Bless you. Have an amazing day and an incredible week. Amen.